Welcome to the Notion Club podcast. I'm Justin Hall, and joining me is Dr. Taylor Flowers. Taylor is a musician specializing in collaborative piano with a doctorate from the University of Michigan. Last season, he and I discussed the art song cycle Winterreise, which tells the story of a godless wanderer on a journey to find meaning. In today's episode, Taylor and I will discuss a challenging film of considerable depth, which tells the story of a man of God who goes on a journey to bring meaning to others, but ends up losing it. The film, Silence, dramatizes the uncomfortable topic of apostasy through the story of one Jesuit priest in the 17th century on a missionary journey to Japan, where he finds fierce opponents of Christianity who will not relent until they see him not dead, but turned traitor to God and to faith. In today's discussion, Taylor and I will talk about the problem of enduring faith and the brutal yet often subtle attacks made against true belief which we can find not only in a foreign country, in a foreign time, but today in our own lives and in our own homes. This is episode 23 of season two of The Notion Club. Taylor, thanks so much for joining me for another episode of The Notion Club. It's been too long. It's been almost a year, I think, at this point. So we're talking about the film Silence, directed by Martin Scorsese and released, what was it, 2016? Maybe we can start with just a description of the film, a rundown of the plot, the characters. But maybe getting into that, you can sort of describe why we're talking about this film specifically, what there is of import as a piece of art and and also of relevance to us and this cultural moment right now. Yeah, so you and I saw this movie in Cleveland at a very small theater (laughs) and uh, we saw it back in 2016 when this movie came out and we were both a little shocked by it and uh, confused. So... I think it's great to come around hmm. full circle and and have a discussion about it. I think it's an important movie and book for Christians to consider. It's sort of avoided the Hollywood limelight because it's a little too dangerous of material. It's dealing with Christianity and theology hmm. in a pretty serious way. And it's also not very entertaining. So it's not going to speak to that crowd hmm. very much. Mm-hmm. But in terms of its content, it is very meaningful. And so I'm glad we can talk about it. The story essentially is based on a true story that comes from documentary history from letters sent between travelers in the 17th century, 17th and 18th century. And these letters were sent back and forth between Japan and mainland Europe, um, mostly Portugal and Spain. And these letters tell the story of Christianity in the 17th century and the travails of the Christians who lived there and endured persecution since 1549, which is when the original Jesuit missionary to Japan traveled there and planted a church. And it was estimated that in the 17th century, within 60 years of the planting of this church, there were about 300,000 Christians in Japan. And then over the course of the next 50 to 100 years, the Japanese emperors began systematically persecuting Christians with the intent to drive them out, to drive them to exile, and to get them to renounce their faith. 
And they also, these emperors knew that to just kill many Christians could actually invigorate the church. And so they decide to adopt a, a slower, more methodical approach hmm. to getting the Christians to apostatize, which is one of imprisonment and slow breaking down mm-hmm. of their faith through philosophical means, through spiritual beleaguerment and just sort of laborious grinding away. So the movie Silence tells the story of a young Jesuit priest named Rodriguez and his companion Garupe, who traveled to Japan from Portugal in the year 1639 with the intent of finding their old spiritual mentor, Father Ferreira. They've received word from Japan that Ferreira has apostatized, left his faith, and is now living with the Japanese. So they travel to Japan. They briefly minister to the Japanese people as priests of the Catholic faith, and then they are both captured. Garupe is summarily killed, but Rodriguez endures a very long, devastating imprisonment where he's interrogated, broken down, and where his conversations with Father Ferreira put the nail in the coffin of his faith to the extent that he apostatizes at the end of the film. So there there are a lot of very difficult themes there. For one thing, there's the problem of the idea of multiculturalism, two cultures and their ideas coexisting or not coexisting. And then the idea of the problem of faith itself and being true to a faith, giving up that faith under pressure, the problem of apostasy, which is a problem specifically for Christians, but you know, it calls into question the legitimacy of not just individual faith, but the set of beliefs itself. And when you watch a film like this, it's very difficult to distinguish between what is being broken down. Is it the mind, the this individual human mind, which is obviously very vulnerable? Or is what is being broken down the actual beliefs itself, the, the truths that are being claimed by Christianity? Are they not, are they not vigorous enough to sustain under attack. So those are those are some very heavy topics and the movie itself is very difficult to watch for a number of reasons. Very challenging, I would say. When we talked about this recently, you talked about how it's challenging in part because it's so long and drawn out. It feels long. It's it's not that much longer than you know, uh, Avengers movies or plenty of the Marvel movies. It feels a lot longer, though, because there is a lot of silence, appropriately, a lot of contemplation. In some sense, the depiction of boredom, which is seems to be completely antithetical to movies themselves. So on that point, I recently rewatched this film mm. and I found it completely devoid of entertainment value, (laughs) which is unique for a film to do that. Mm -hmm. I found it remarkably devoid Mm. of entertainment and also incredibly challenging to watch. People talk about the movie The Revenant and how hard that is to watch. I recently rewatched that. But even seeing Leonardo DiCaprio drag himself through the woods for two hours is easier to watch than Andrew Garfield sitting in prison for over an hour with almost no music, Mm. almost no background sound, Mm -hmm. and watching the consternation on his face and then also listening to these conversations that he has with these very strategic Japanese inquisitors who know exactly how to break down his faith. Yeah. And that is a strength of this film is that it does not underestimate or underrepresent the opponents Mm -hmm. of Christianity. The clever philosophy that builds itself up against Christianity and against truth. And the way that the Inquisitors speak with Rodriguez is a way that's seasoned and masterful. 
And it's torturous to watch, especially for a Christian Mm. who hasn't already thought about these things, hasn't thought through these sorts of conversations hypothetically. Yeah. And in that, it's a very instructive film for any Christian to watch, especially those who have not had these sorts of dialogues or experiences. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the film depicts the slow degeneration of the human spirit. And for that reason, it's very challenging to watch. And I think it's a really important point to say that they do strongman, you might say, the the opponents of Christianity. Uh, they don't underestimate, as opposed to plenty of, you know, Christian films that <laughs> present pretty pathetic excuses for atheists, like, you know, God is not dead, which, I mean, just given the title, is a, <laughs> a horrific understanding of Nietzsche. You know, the, the opponents that are presented are such straw men that it has a counter and productive effect of depicting Christianity as very weak, even though in the end, the Christians emerge triumphant. This is completely the opposite. So this, this idea, there's something ironic about the idea of multiculturalism in this example, because one of the main motivations for the, for the atheists who are attacking Christianity, is that Christianity as a cultural phenomenon, it's not only a set of uh, theistic or metaphysical beliefs, they view it as a separate culture altogether, is not commensurable with Japanese culture. And that for Christians to bring in these cultural ideas and to proselytize, essentially evangelize, create you know, begin churches, that this is a cancer, a metastasizing cancer in the Japanese culture. So you have these two cultures which are incommensurate. The people today who would be in favor of that sentiment, that you should not force your culture onto someone else, or you shouldn't you shouldn't force your beliefs onto someone else, even though the Christians weren't, they were simply living there and, and spreading in an, in an organic way. And in fact, it was precisely that organic spreading that that the atheists wanted to stomp out. Those the people who would say that, and they've said that about Puritans, they would they would call themselves multiculturalists, uh, with the presumption that somehow The reason for that is because cultures are equal and ought to be able to coexist peacefully. And this film is a violent and profound refutation of that concept. There is something deeply incommensurable between these two set of beliefs. Yeah, and to give our listeners a taste of what sort of dialogue this film has to this effect, Mm. I'd like to read just a short little quote first from the book. And then from the film. So uh, Father Ferreira has a conversation with Rodriguez about three-fourths through the film where he almost puts the nail in the coffin of Rodriguez's true faith. And he does this by first saying that the Japanese culture and the Western European culture of Christianity are mutually exclusive. He appeals to an agricultural metaphor where if you have a seed that you just try to transplant to a different soil, it's not guaranteed to work because the soil may be completely different. Mm-hmm. So he actually describes Japan as a swamp. So in, so this is a quote from page 225 of the book. Ferreira says, This country is a swamp. In time you will come to see that for yourself. This country is a more terrible swamp than you can imagine. Whenever you plant a sapling in this swamp, the roots begin to rot. The leaves grow yellow and wither, and we have planted the sapling of Christianity in this swamp. Then, later in that conversation, Ferreira has a different tactic where he says that the Christian ministry, which Father Francis Xavier set up many years earlier, was based on a false conception of God. So he says to Rodriguez, Behold, There is the Son of God, pointing at the sky, at the sun, God's only begotten Son. In the scriptures, Jesus rose on the third day. In Japan, the Son of God rises daily. (laughs) The Japanese cannot think of an existence beyond the realm of nature. For them, nothing transcends the human. 
they can't conceive of our idea of the Christian God. Rodriguez, you're wrong. They worship God, our Lord. They praise the name of Deus. Vera, that's just another word for a God they never knew. Rodriguez, I saw men die for Deus. They were on fire with their faith. Ferreira, faith in the wrong God, their God, not ours. And where does our church, your church, consign believers in the wrong God? Your martyrs may have been on fire, Father, but it was not with faith. So first, Ferreira is saying, culturally, Christianity and Buddhism or Japanese spiritualism or pantheism or what have you are completely at odds and they will never come together. And this is in many ways a challenge which Christian missionaries must actually grapple with. Before going to a foreign country, we have to think about this sort of cultural bewilderment Mm. that can face us Mm -hmm. as Christians. Mm -hmm. Even as we claim to be proclaiming God's truth, an absolute truth, which objectively from all angles is true, it is based on its own epistemology, which we must be able to communicate as well. And actually, I found this interesting. When I watched this film the second time, I watched it with my girlfriend, and she often, though not as philosophically analytical as me, she will often see through to the truth of something far more than me. And she said Mm. at the end of this film, it's amazing what the Holy Spirit did in the hearts of the Japanese Christians to Mm. sustain them Mm. and give them true faith. And that's exactly correct. The Holy Spirit can change our epistemology. And we see that we see that time and time again in stories of conversion, even in scripture. Is the Holy Spirit indwelling someone in a way that changes our epistemology, Mm. changes the way someone conceives of who God is, who Christ is, who the Holy Spirit is, Mm -hmm. and brings it into alignment with truth. So that's what I would say, Mm -hmm. just as a counter argument to Ferreira here. Mm -hmm. And the second thing is the idea of who God is being incorrect. This is another issue with this that's depicted in this film. But looking at it very critically, which is important, there is a way in which what Ferreira is saying about the conception of God being incorrect in the Japanese mind is actually true because the way that the Jesuit mission apostolate worked as an kind of a wing of the Catholic Church was to have priests minister to people and to hear their confession, Mm. to be essentially spiritual mediators Mm -hmm. between God and the people. And in this film, we see many depictions of grieved Japanese lay people Mm. kneeling before the priests, Rodriguez (laughs) and Grupe, Mm -hmm. kneeling, crying for forgiveness, Mm -hmm. and holding up little images of either Christ on the cross or just little crosses that they've made. Mm -hmm. So there's this great obsession with both the image of the priest Mm -hmm. as a sort of mediator who needs to hear the confession in order order for it to be in any way salvific for the believer, and then also this obsession with images. Mm -hmm. So there's some problems even with the theology that is preached from the Catholics uh, in this film. At least with what we see in this film, we, we do see that the outworking of faith is really tied to Catholic doctrine that in some senses is extra biblical. Mm-hmm. So Father Ferreira's critique of their ministry in many ways holds true. Right. Well, and I mean, no wonder it's so easily snuffed out in that case, especially because the priests themselves were the ones who ultimately fell the hardest. And how completely hopeless the situation is if in order for forgiveness to be mediated, it has to come through a priest in this way. And that God is not capable, as you were talking, through the Holy Spirit to indwell and to change and for 
repentance of the heart to be mediated through Christ himself. If that isn't the case, Ferreira is absolutely right. There's no hope whatsoever of salvation for these people. Yeah. And there's an interview that Martin Scorsese gave at one of a, the early screenings where he was asked about the film in general and what he was trying to say. And one thing that he said, which Martin Scorsese himself is a, is a Catholic, mm-hmm. and he was given this book by a Catholic priest, and Shusaku Endo, the author, was also Catholic. What Scorsese said is that the issue of pride and humility factors deeply into the crux of this film, which is the point at which Rodriguez is presented with an image of Christ. Mm-hmm on a little iron emblem Mm -hmm. that's put on the ground before him and he's asked to step on it this emblem the japanese called the fumie and rodriguez in that moment hears the voice of christ which asks him to step on it (laughs) and this is in many ways problematic theologically both Endo and Scorsese do not shy away from putting words in God's mouth, as it were. And also for Christ to speak and say, apostatize, deny mm-hmm. your faith, mm-hmm. is a bit of a problematic move. Just you and a bit, I, yeah. <laughs> you and I chatted that Christ knew that Peter would deny him three times, but he mm-hmm. did not tell him to. He did not say, yeah, save your life, Peter. Deny me. Yeah. No, he said, I just, I know what you will do. I know what's in your heart. It grieves me. Yeah. But- well, I mean, on the contrary, Christ said, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my father. Yeah. The way Scorsese talks about the the crux of this film and the way that he says that Rodriguez apostatizes, and this is an act of faith for Rodriguez, according to, according to Scorsese, mm-hmm. because he hears the order from Christ. So Christians obey the word of God. So in that moment, Rodriguez hears the word of Christ and obeys it. And in this way, Scorsese, and I think for Indo as well, the author, this is an act of faith. Mm. So this is problematic. Uh, and th- we cannot pass this over mm-hmm. n- uncritically. Mm-hmm. And also, the idea of giving up one's faith because it is something which one holds in pride is a big issue that this film grapples with, I think, incorrectly. Mm-hmm. So one of the Japanese uh, interpreters tells Rodriguez that he's holding on to his faith simply out of pride. And as Rodriguez is watching these Christians before him be tortured and hung upside down and they're bleeding out, he's watching them and he is refusing to give up his faith. And the Japanese interpreter says, you're just going to let them suffer while you stand there prideful Mm -hmm. in your dogma, Mm -hmm. believing your dogmatic Christianity and letting them suffer unto death. Mm -hmm. Give it up, humble yourself, and apostatize. Yeah. What a, what a, first of all, what a brilliant way mm. putting it, mm-hmm. <laughs> but also what a deceptive and problematic thing. And I would hope that any Christian watching that moment in particular yeah. thinks very critically about that. One would hope. <laughs> yeah. Just to dwell for a moment on the problem of huh, this total perversion of obedience to Christ. I mean, this is the perfect example of calling what is evil good and good evil. A complete upending of the picture of uh, faith in Christ. I think the idea is something like, uh, here's the, the fumi, the, the image of Christ, which you trample on, and, and the, the atheists, the anti-theists, anti-Christian persecutors say, this isn't sincerity. You don't have to do this in s- sincerity. I mean, there's no meaning in stepping on it publicly. It's just a formality. And so just, you know, just do the formality and then you can completely hold faith in your heart, but just, you know, the formal- get through the formality of it and you can be spared. 
Um, and I think, if I remember right, the I- theological idea being presented is that Christ is essentially saying, well, I, I came to earth to be trampled on. That was the point of me coming to earth. And so you trampling on me will be a fulfillment of that gospel, uh, which, well, that is essentially antinomianism. You know, the idea of free grace, you can do anything you want to uh, and still be covered by the grace of Christ, the the saving grace of Christ, because in fact, you know, you Christ did die to cover everything that you do and will do. And so, you know, sin is fair game at that point. Yeah. So that quote that you were summarizing is from the, that moment that I was talking about the crux of the film. And so the, the quote, I'll read it. Jesus says, Come ahead now, it's all right. Step on me. I understand your pain. I was born into this world to share men's pain. I carried this cross for your pain. Step. And so I, th- I think this is a sort of maybe reversal of what we, we see in scripture. So mm-hmm. Romans 8.17, Paul says, And if we are children, we're, we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. So Christ is not saying, I'm suffering with you. I am now, Christ has already suffered. Christ endured the agony for us already. It has been done. It is completed. We now join him. We join him in his, in his suffering. So this quote from the film is sort of deceptive because it's a sort of appealing to the same sympathy between Christ and us, but it's reversing it. So he's saying, now I'm going to suffer instead of you. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So you you step on me, deny me, I'll endure your suffering in this moment. Mm. This is incorrect. Yeah, Christ has already done that work. Yep. So even though Rodriguez in this moment is faced with the suffering of five other Christians, which is the genius of the Japanese method, mm. he should endure because the Japanese Christians there are enduring themselves. They are enduring for the sake of Christ, for suffering with Christ. Back to the point of pride, because there's a a quote right before this moment where Father Ferreira is accusing Rodriguez of pride. So he says, you see Jesus in Gethsemane and believe your trial is the same as his. Those five in the pit are suffering too, just like Jesus, but they don't have your pride. They would never compare themselves to Jesus. Do you have the right to make them suffer? I heard the cries of suffering in this same cell, and I acted. Rodriguez says, Don't try to excuse yourself. That is the spirit of darkness disguised as light. Ferreira, what would you do for them? Pray? And get what in return? Only more suffering. A suffering only you can end, not God. So... Here, Ferreira is saying, you are being prideful because you are joining Christ in his suffering. Mm-hmm. You think you can put on sort of the clothing of Christ and, and join him in his suffering. And this is a twisting of scripture because we are actually called to do that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And Ferreira is saying that this is essentially a sin for Rodriguez to overlook the suffering of these Christians hanging in the pit. Mm-hmm to imitate Christ, but we are called to imitate Christ by bearing our cross, yep. by bearing the suffering which is given to us. Yeah. So Rodriguez is doing the absolute correct thing, and Ferreira is appealing to this very twisted view of the situation. Right. Well, that argument that holding on to dogma, holding on to truth, is prideful. That's something that I've heard from Christians, not just atheists, not just people who want to destroy your faith. But it's, you know, I've, I've even recently from Christians who will say, I mean, of course, it's, it's okay to have your opinions about theology and to have doctrines that you believe. But if, if your beliefs in these truths are uh, at the expense of someone else, usually what they mean by that is, hurting people's feelings, uh, not being beheaded or crucified upside down, uh, hurting people's feelings, then that is dogmatic and it's prideful. 
how dare you believe that and how dare you hold to it at the expense of these people's feelings to say nothing of their lives. And I think they would be the first to give up the faith when it comes to this situation of <laughs> this extreme pressure, deny Christ, save these physical lives, give up the faith, stop being prideful and dogmatic, uh, give it up, and because otherwise you're being prideful and, and how, you know, Christ is is a God of compassion, and, and how can you be compassionate if you are sticking to your beliefs at the expense of others? It's a, it's a brilliantly formulated attack on the very heart of faith. But of course, it's a, it's a completely materialistic mindset that glorifies physical health above eternal truth, salvific truth. And the Japanese have prepared Rodriguez for this crucial moment where they attack his dogma. Mm. And they've prepared him earlier on in the film. There's a conversation that the interpreter has with Rodriguez where he presents a cultural relativism that would equalize all dogmas to the same level of just sheer relative truth. Mm -hmm. And so he says to Rodriguez, think it over. You're the only Christian priest left in this country. Now you're captured and there's no one left to teach the peasants and spread your doctrine. Aren't you useless? The path of mercy means simply that you abandon self. Nobody should worry about getting others into his religious sect. <laughs> to help others is the way of the Buddha and the teaching of Christianity. In this point, the two religions are the same. What matters is whether or not you walk the path of truth. So here the Japanese interpreter is equating Buddhism and Christianity, saying that they are the same in that they both say that you should walk in the path of truth mm -hmm. and that you should help others. So he's positing these two values as the overlap of Buddhism and Christianity. Mm -hmm. And given that Buddhism is already the law of the land yep. in Japan, let's just go with that. Don't worry about your Christian dogma. That's just uh, a bunch of extra baggage that is foreign to our culture that won't grow here. Mm -hmm. So let's just go with being nice to others and to attempt to walk in the path of truth, whatever that means. But this, this sort of relativism is gradually told to Rodriguez again and again mm -hmm. to break him down, to prime him for the moment when he's given a clear choice to see almost no distinction between Christianity and the Japanese way or the Buddhist way or what works, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. So he's ultimately broken down to the point of apostasy. He steps on the Fumi, he denies Christ. He proceeds to live the rest of his life in Japan as a public apostate from Christianity. Maybe let's talk about that phenomenon of giving up the faith. You read part of Romans 8. At the end of Romans 8, it's, it's talking about Christ's faithfulness to us. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Um, essentially, the idea being nothing will separate you in the moment of distress or persecution or tribulation or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. None of that is able to separate anyone, meaning that you will endure neither death nor life nor principalities nor rulers nor things present nor things to come can separate you. It's talking about the perseverance that you will have, uh, which is hence the golden chain of um, being called to being glorified and that never being broken. Um, that if you are truly in indwelt by the spirit, not the spirit of fear, but the very spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, you will be kept true to the faith. And so giving up the faith is clear evidence that that is not the case, that you are not truly held by the power of Christ. Because who can, in that moment, as a mortal, finite being sustain under that kind of pressure. It may not be possible physically. At the end of the chapter Interrogation in the Gulag Archipelago by Alexander Solzhenitsyn, he talks about, uh, 
an instance where a, a woman was interrogated by the Gestapo and she didn't give up the information. She didn't break. She walked away. And Solzhenitsyn says to the to the naive person who doesn't know, they will look on that and see a heroic act. But those of us who've been through it, who've experienced the gulag, who've been interrogated, those of us who actually know, see, see an example of very incompetent torture because she didn't break. Mm. They know how to break you down if they do it right. If they torture you right, you will break. And to either not die or to walk free is only an example of poor interrogation techniques. So I think that's something to keep in mind as, you know, it's it may not be a matter of enduring through it physically because you can genuinely be driven mad. I mean driven insane by all the techniques listed by Solzhenitsyn. To me, the idea of a slow grinding away is a very innocuous one and one that we wouldn't necessarily see unless we were looking for it. Mm -hmm. Even in culture, like American culture. So for the Japanese, that's part of the genius of their strategy. There were 300,000 Christians living in Japan and they only killed five or 6,000 of them. Mm -hmm. But over time, they essentially eliminated all Christianity from Japan. Mm -hmm. So where did the other 290,000 Christians go? Mm -hmm. They actually, over time, apostatized. And... The genius of that is that the remnant of Christianity exists in that culture now. The artist Makoto Fujimura, who was the artistic director and advisor for this film, says that there's sort of a, a remnant, a negative mm. of Christianity left in the culture there in Japan. An inoculation. It, yeah, it's, its values still reside there because the Japanese kept it mm -hmm. while not invigorating the church. And as, to this day, Christians comprise only about 1% of the population in Japan. And the size of churches in Japan tends to be about 30, which is really interesting. Mm -hmm. The churches are very small. They're still almost underground. Mm -hmm. So the strategy of the Japanese emperors and inquisitors 300 years ago is still having an effect mm -hmm. in Japan. And it's because of this very gradual, subtle call to give up little bits of your faith, one piece at a time, mm -hmm. until you wasted away to nothing. Mm -hmm. And they would force the priests and all the Christians who had apostatized to come into Nagasaki every year and step on the Fumier again mm -hmm. to double down on their apostatizing, on their leaving of the faith, so that they would show publicly that they had left. So there's just an, a very interesting overlap that I see with the way that we live in the modern day as Christians in America where we don't see persecution, we don't necessarily see Christians being killed or tortured or imprisoned. But what other kinds of subtle torture or breaking down mm -hmm. are we encountering? Mm -hmm. Giving up little pieces at a time. Little unnecessary, not important doctrines, little attributes of God that are not necessary to die for. Just give it up. Don't be too dogmatic about it until we're left with essentially nothing. You know, the insides are scooped out. Uh, and if anything, you just have the bare shell of it, which is a great description of the evangelical church in America right now. And it seems to be, you know, that parasitic idea about pride seems to be enforced 
very willingly by Christians themselves from the inside out, which is very worrying. I think you, you mentioned the term cultural bewilderment, which I think is a fantastic term. I think if we were plunged into another situation of extreme persecution, hopefully a lot of us would snap out of it and start to value these eternal things because we would suddenly see the preciousness of them. More likely, our experience would be like Rodriguez. The idea of dogma as being something that's entirely prideful mm -hmm. and sort of self-exalting is very popular in modern academia, where I've <laughs> been for the past lifetime. And mm -hmm. to foist your opinion, especially if it's religious in nature, to foist it upon someone else is the ultimate act of hostility mm -hmm. and pride <laughs> and arrogance. Mm -hmm. And so we, we see that equation of doctrine or dogma and pride in this film more explicitly. And it could be a reason that it's been sort of sidelined by Hollywood. I mean, because it's such a, such a exposure mm. of what's really going on, even in our country, in the United States. And um, to say that Rodriguez becomes ultimately like Christ when he lays down his dogma, that's a really insidious idea as well. Mm -hmm. To say that if you were a real Christian, you wouldn't be prideful. You wouldn't just believe that you're right about everything. You wouldn't beat other people over the head with the Bible, whatever. Mm -hmm. All those things go together. So now the thing to do, the popular thing, is to be skeptical. Mm and to advocate skepticism and questioning everything, never coming to an answer, being a lifelong learner, and just having an open mind about everything. Mm -hmm. That is that is now the open mindedness. Acceptable. Yeah. Yeah. And part of it is supposing that on the other side, where there is relativism and absolute openness, that there is no pride. There's no pride in being completely open, which is such an insidious lie but it disguises itself so well in the guise of compassion and inclusivity is the word uh, because i mean how can you be prideful if you're being inclusive when relativism and this kind of openness is as dogmatic as anything it's just as constrictive it's just as demanding it makes just as objective claims about morality and about truth but it disguises itself in a kind of faux compassion and inclusiveness um, to hide it. But if you stick to something, you you say, this is true because I believe it's true, It's I'm convinced and persuaded, uh, etc. That is prideful because suddenly you've planted a standard, you've planted the flag and will not be budged by the mainstream orthodoxy, which the mainstream orthodoxy, which is which is uh, atheistic at root, because it is not submissive. See, that's the thing. It is even more prideful because it isn't submissive. And that's that's what is so repulsive about dogma. It's the fact that ultimately you have to be submissive to something outside of yourself. Um, when you're open, you're open to all of these ideas, you're open to everyone else's opinions. What it really means is that I am not submitting to a higher reality that is far more important than you and most certainly far more important than me. Um, it is that submission to a higher reality that is so repulsive because if you do it, it implies that I have to do it too. I think it is the opposite. Uh, not that, that there cannot be pride in holding to a doctrinal truth, to objective truth. Um, there certainly can be. But if one's approach to truth is as submission, you know, you don't step on the Fumi because you are submissive to the authority of Christ. Mm -hmm. I think it's so easy for us in America to only see a tiny part of the worldwide equation. And so that goes for both you know, academics, secular academics, and for Christians. And when you look at what Christian persecution is today, it is it is absolutely devastating. Mm -hmm. It remains devastating. I was looking at the World Watch List from this year, and it 
documents in great detail what sort of persecution Christians are undergoing throughout the world. Hmm. And it says that over 340 million Christians experience persecution today. In many countries, if it is found out that you are a Christian, even today, you are killed or exiled immediately on the spot. There's even reports of, in certain countries, if your family member finds out that you are a Christian, Mm -hmm. they're offered a reward, Mm -hmm. either financial or some other incentive, to report you. And there's, there's situations where family members will report you for for converting to Christianity and then turn you in, in which case you are often killed or thrown in prison for the rest of your life. So that's it's, it's important for us to know that that's still going on mm. in other countries, mm-hmm. not in America, which is a, an, an incredible blessing mm-hmm. to think about, mm-hmm. that we have this freedom. But also to know that this is not just us talking about what happened way back when in the 17th century yeah, right. in Japan. Yep. This could be a modern novel yeah. very easily. For sure. And, well, criticism should never be wholly negative. Good criticism. I think this is a film that Christians should watch. To be challenged by it. To be made uncomfortable. And to think through it. Um, and to feel the degrading of the human spirit. Because... It isn't the glamorous kind of tribulation and persecution that we would wish for. Uh, The triumphant, courageous scene in the Colosseum, watched by thousands, the glory of blood and all of that. It's really more like being slowly bored into apostasy. Mm. And I think American Christians may well be... (laughs) bored into apostasy. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting. The book is very easy to read, Silence. It's rather short. By comparison, the movie is really hard to watch Mm. and it's very long. Mm -hmm. It's almost the opposite of what we often think about Mm. film adaptations, Mm -hmm. like Moby Dick, where you have most film adaptations are an hour and a half and they tell the basic plot, whereas the book is, you know, 500 pages and tells you all about cytology and stuff. But I think I agree with you. I think this is a film that Christians should watch Mm. for for many reasons to to be made uncomfortable, to think about at least hypothetically, what would I do in this situation? Mm. Would I endure to the end. What is my conviction? Am I convicted enough that even if tomorrow I woke up in China and was thrown in prison without family, without my church there, Mm -hmm. without a Bible even, Mm -hmm. how long could I endure? And the opening scene of this film is very inspiring to a Christian because it depicts a number of Christians who are brought up on a mountainside in Japan and scalded with boiling water for over 35 days. And they do not give up their faith. And it's an amazing contrast to the end of this movie where Rodriguez gives up his faith. Mm -hmm. But this film does depict good ways of enduring suffering. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing that these Christians are enduring for many, you know, scores of days that this intense pain and evidently their faith in Christ is strong enough to carry them through even to death in this situation, mm-hmm. which flies in the face of what Father Ferreira is arguing later in the film and what Rodriguez does. So we see contrast. I think it is an interesting test the film itself you know will you press play on wherever you stream movies or will you go to something else that that is analgesic and will numb you into amusement it's such an incredible thing to think about that in this country in its progenitors the western culture for a while now people have been able to live entire lifetimes without a significant challenge to their faith without significant persecution. That isn't mm. that isn't the universal experience of Christians. Certainly not historically. 
And the things that we complain about as Christians, the things that make us uncomfortable and that intimidate us, you know, in the luxury of this freedom that we have, which is a gift from God and the fact that we take it so much for granted uh, without gratitude, I think is a very dangerous thing. And we are very close to losing it, I'd say. I think it's not, I mean, maybe it's not so much of a problem of coming to a determination to endure because nobody will know for sure until they are being drenched in boiling water or dunked in a vat of boiling oil or crucified upside down or all of the ingenious ways of absolutely brutalizing a human body that humans have come up with. But coming to understand the just the incredible preciousness of what we have, the truth that we have, the beauty of that truth, and also the freedom that we have to enjoy it. If you get nothing else, you will come out of the film being very grateful for the freedom that you have to believe and to hold to truths so dogmatically, mm. because that is a gift. I remember we watched this film in Cleveland on a Saturday night, I think, mm. and the next morning going to church <laughs> mm -hmm. on Sunday and interacting with the body of believers mm -hmm. freely mm -hmm. without with, with zero mm -hmm. fear mm -hmm. of backlash. It felt incredible mm -hmm. and an amazing gift. And to have zero danger is a really unique thing for Christians, you know, in the course of history, but also right now mm -hmm. in this in this moment worldwide. Mm. Um, so let us be grateful for that. Yeah.